there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? I'm Don Hall and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us. to the podcast and in thinking through and writing these and going through this sort of launch through the desert town of nostalgia that the first five of my tattoos that you've heard about if you've been listening were all reactive they were all they were all created in reactions to circumstances in my life that may or may not have been great as as you recall if you've listened to it and you haven't you should Dada Isvidada, the very first tattoo I got, was really a response to feeling sort of lost at sea um, in the wake of my second divorce. Didn't quite know what to do with myself, and that was sort of the first one. The rest of those first five were all responses to circumstances. Uh, Alice, Breeze, all of that kind of stuff, and sort of they were responses to what I was dealing with in my life. Now, what I recognized, and as, as I was planning on this one, is that from six to 10, those next five tattoos were all proactive. They were all more things I wanted to remember rather than things that, oh, I just lived through this and this is something I should take from it. These were things that were more looking forward and ahead. Now, I'll back up. When I was younger, I had a couple of near-death experiences, we'll call them. Uh, spinal meningitis when I was six, uh, aneurysms when I was 20, I, I realized there were, you know, at some point I just kind of determined that I was going to die when I turned 45. And I don't know why I thought 45. Maybe at the time I just thought 45 seemed so fucking long. I would be so old. But for some reason, whatever the reason was, I was absolutely completely convinced that at 45 I would cease to exist. That was the thing. And it was something that just drove me through most of those 44 years going up to that. That was what I believed. And at the certain point, at the point we're in, in sort of the tale of the tattoos, I had passed or passed 45. Um, and I really there for a while didn't quite know what to do with myself. All of a sudden it felt like at the end of Terminator 2 where she's driving, you see the highway and she's talking to herself and basically saying, now that I've killed the Terminator, I don't know what my future is. I've always known what my future was. I don't know what my future is. So now what, what lies ahead? And I think that's kind of where I was at when I got this, uh, the sixth tattoo, the sixth tattoo comes from David Foster Wallace. Now, I love David Foster Wallace. Not everybody likes David Foster Wallace, but I love David Foster Wallace. I read Infinite Jest. Oh, God, I think the first time I read Infinite Jest when I, I, I was in my 20s, but I just, it was exactly, he, he writes the way my brain thinks, constantly diverting off into other places, always illuminating things that may or may not have any kind of impact on the narrative. Just, I really dug it. 
And uh, I know a lot of people have a hard time reading Infinite Jest, but I really loved it. And I've read it a number of times ever since. But somewhere around the long, along the line of this six tattoo, I read, or first I think I heard uh, David Foster Wallace read, and then I ended up getting the book. And it is a commencement speech that he gave at, I think, Kensington College called This Is Water. And you've heard, if you're listening to the podcast, you heard David Foster Wallace do the beginning of that speech. There are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? And ultimately the point of uh, his piece was that we're all water. We, for, we tend to forget that the humanity around us is the water when we, with, in which we swim. And I really hit a point in my life when I was 45 turning 46. Uh, that year, you know, as you recall, uh, I'd had some shakeup with uh, work. I'd had some shakeup with my personal life. I had moved back in. I was, well, I hadn't moved in, but I was still, I got back with Alice. And we, we tried it for a third time, although this time I was not going to live with her, just to see, you know. And part of it is entropy. You know, you're, you're with someone who uh, may not like you, but the sex is phenomenal. And that was something. And maybe I felt at some point that I deserved to be treated the way I was treated. And maybe I did, to be honest. But I, I realized at some point that I didn't really want to be um, that person and but this isn't what I want to do this isn't where I want to be and I really because I was living on my own um, and seeing Alice uh, I really started to think very hard about it and it, along those sides I was really riding high in the moth and the moth, if you're not familiar with the moth, moth is a storytelling slam. Uh, comes from George Dawes Green, New York City. Um, huge. If you don't know what the moth is, just look up themoth.org and you'll find all about it. But it was basically true people telling true stories. And that's not always the case with the show, because usually storytellers would come up and, and you know prepare their stories kind of thing. However, I was a host at the Haymarket Pub and Brewery in downtown Chicago. And every month I would get up and I would tell a true story. And I would introduce other people telling true stories. And that really caused me to start looking at those stories and looking at the people's stories and hearing what they said. And at some point, and I don't actually recall the story, but I'm sitting and listening to some woman tell a story. And she's telling the story of her abusive husband who was a terribly abusive husband. And she had determined she was going to leave him. And he got into a car accident and became completely disabled and that she could not leave him because she would feel the guilt of having left him when he was in that state, despite the fact that he had physically uh, brutally abused her up until that point. And I thought about that. And it's not like Alice was ever physically abusive, but it was just like, do you really want to be in a position where you are stuck with someone out of a sense of obligation when it wasn't that good to begin with. Now, at the time, 
I, uh, I, I, I was reading a lot of David Foster Wallace, and I found this This Is Water piece that he had written. And I really got into it. And the essence of the piece, I highly recommend that it's not a long read or a long listen to it, for that, for that matter. I highly recommend you listen to it or read it because it, it essentially is about the idea that everything around us is this, we are so focused on our own narrative, our own little movie in our mind, our own little experience. And that's how, and that's natural because the only way we can experience the world is through a lens of ourselves. But his point was that there's so much more out there. And like the little fish that don't know what water is, even though it is what sustains them and it is what as they swim through and it's what they, you know, that it, it is everything. It is their whole world. They don't see it. They don't recognize that it's there because it's just so pervasively everywhere. And that people, human beings and experiences with these human beings, that is the water with which we survive. That is the water in which we swim. And I found that to be an extraordinary mental image. Now, during the time as I was leaving Alice, and, and, and it, was, it was a situation where I, 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 I pretty much determined that I was going to leave Alice. And uh, she and I were kind of on the outs anyway and had agreed at some point to kind of open things up and maybe date a little bit. I met Katie. And Katie confessed later on that she saw me at the moth and looked at her friend and said, I'm not going to fall in love with him, but I am going to fuck him, which I didn't know until much later. Um, and she did actually gave me one of the greatest compliments to my performing style at the Moth was that she said, every time you get up to, on stage to tell a story, you look like either you just had sex or you're going to be having sex very shortly thereafter, which I thought was you know kind of a sexy thing to say. Now, the thing about it, Katie was, Katie was very young. Katie was easily half my age. I mean, early 20s. Um, in fact, I was a year older than her father. And that was a little awkward, but we did have sort of that, that uh, connection that maybe you know, like a Patti Smith had to Sam Shepard as this older guy and you know, going through his shit and this young woman trying to figure her shit out. And well, she kind of gravitated. And so we hung out a lot. And then one day it became apparent that we were going for it and we started dating. We started fucking, let's put it that way. I started caretaking her. And in that process that, that emphasized that while Alice and I were kind of on a break and we were not together, but we were still together that we no longer needed to be together. But then I had to figure out how I could do that in the kindest way. Alice was at the time getting ready to graduate Bennington and I didn't want to fuck that up. I didn't want to have her, I mean, maybe, you know, I don't know how to say that. It's not like, hey, look what a great guy I am. Not a great guy. However, I didn't want her experience graduating with her master's degree to be somehow forever infused with the pain of this breakup. That was not, that's not cool. I didn't want her to leave with that. I didn't want to leave it with the aftertaste. So... We kept on, you know, going on while I was with Katie. She knew I was seeing Katie. She didn't want to see Katie. Uh, Katie was very needy, very young. Um, and I completely fell for Katie. I was totally into her. And then Katie decided that she was bisexual and started dating another woman that I worked with, which was awkward. Um, and we dealt with that. 
I mean, it was a lot of just a lot of personal drama uh, was going on. But in the meantime, while that personal drama was going on, work was good, and I just kept really reading through more and more of David Foster Wallace. I was really sucked in to his short stories, to his ideas. I read a lot about him. Um, and I really got sucked in. And I had determined halfway through the year of my 45th year that I was, in fact, going, it was, the, I knew what my tattoo is going to be. It was going to be This Is Water. And that, because I knew that long in advance, usually it didn't happen that fast, I knew pretty much for a fact that this is what was going to go on my arm. I knew where it was going to go because I wanted it to be a place I could always see it. And so it is on the inside of my right wrist. I really started looking around the world and looking at my world and looking at the people in my world and trying to be as generous as I possibly could be to those people as you know as, as I possibly could be. And so with Alice, we went, I went to Bennington. I had uh, bought a car and went to Bennington and I visited her. It was sort of like their last hurrah there you know, the last series of classes and then all that kind of stuff and then graduating and I was going to be there for her graduation and I was there and I met a lot of her friends and you know and and you know that was we we argued about the fact that I bought a car and we argued about the fact that she wanted to get a house a different house and we argued about the fact that she wanted to get uh, you know, to have money saved for the future. We had an argument about children where she said she wanted to have a kid, but her only reason was so that the kid would be able to take care of her. There was no way I was sticking around for all this. And, and maybe that seems like I'm a cut and run guy. I don't think so, but maybe, maybe you know, that's that's your judgment to make. So I went and I, and I did that and I came home and I realized that, you know, Katie and I were not really going anywhere. Katie was, I mean, Katie was young. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to pejure her any more than I have to. I just, she, she was fine and, and, and I was way into her and there was a lot of poetry. There was a lot of writing. She was, a, she was a writer or is a writer and I'm a writer. And so we really kind of bonded in a lot of ways about the, the, the things we read and the music we listened to and the, the, the way we wrote. We did some writing exercises together that went up on my blog and all kinds of stuff like that. As I said at the top, most of my first, well, the first five tattoos were more reactive to experiences. With number six, I had kind of gone the gauntlet of sort of the high school relationship bullshit. Um, I'd been divorced twice. I'd had some experiences. I went off um, and dated... There were, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd left Alice, uh, Katie and I didn't work out. Things just kind of went on and all of a sudden I realized I was kind of by myself and kind of trying to make my way into the world. And at that point, and I won't call it rock bottom, I certainly wasn't at rock bottom, uh, not nearly. But at that point, instead of reflecting on, oh, woe is me, look how hard my relationship status is, I can't stay married, all this you know, I've had these bad relationships. I stopped looking at the world as a place that was beating me down and started to really look at the world as it is, or at least as I thought it was, 
And that was when David Foster Wallace's This Is Water, more importantly than any of the other work that he'd written, which, as I said, I love, really started to resonate with me. And I read it over and over again and thought about it and pondered it in that navel-gazy, sitting and staring in my belly button, thinking about life, thinking about the world, wondering what it all meant, wondering what my place in all of it was. And it was the beginning of a relationship that I had with myself when I realized that ultimately I am not very important in the grand scheme of things. My narrative is not that important. The movie of my life isn't about me. David Foster Wallace sets out in This Is Water to define a few key tenets. We deeply believe that we individually are the center of the universe. That is our default setting. Everything happens around us within our own personal experience. That it is within the petty, seemingly meaningless interactions with the world that the work of expanding meaning and personal experience needs to happen. And that our default setting is narcissism and that, be that become truly evolved educated and empathetic, we need to reset those default settings. From the moment we are conceived and a heartbeat begins pumping and a series of brain waves commence, we have begun our death sentence. And life is the process of surviving the plethora of obstacles and events that strive to make the sentence shorter rather than long-lived. If each of our deaths is a work in progress, the question begged is, what do you want the sum total of that life to amount to? If each of our deaths is a narrative, because we human beings love for things to have a story that makes some sort of sense out of all, don't we? Then what is the story of you? 16 or 17 years ago, I directed an improvised play called Postmortem. The idea was to utilize a fresh obituary from the Chicago Tribune and using only the paragraph or two for guidance and clues, recreate that person's life from birth to death. What we discovered in the process of preparing for and performing the show was that the list of accomplishments was almost never what the show ended up being about. We started with a catalog of what each person did but figuring out who he or she was often boiled down to our imaginations. Certainly, career milestones and extended family were the signposts to the narrative, but the work in progress. But rarely did these markers actually tell the story. Standing in line at the Jewel, I notice an older gentleman. I mean, he might have been the least gentlemanly cat on the block, but how would I know? He's a well-worn man. His back is hunched over. His face a series of dry riverbed wrinkles, his hair in unkept tufts and white patches. He's lived some life. He's taken the hard road at some point or points in his path. His story is in the final chapters, but what is his story? If I asked him, would he tell me about the jobs he had? Would his career as a union man, teacher, cop, chef, accountant, DJ, poet, electrician define who he was in his work in progress? Would a list of his family members give me a clue to the great American novel that is him? 
Was he a veteran? And did his time in the military change him? Had he been adopted, married, divorced? Did his true love find him or did he lose her or him? What life lessons did he learn? What, now at the end of his story, or at least closer to the end than the beginning, is he afraid of? Like a great painting that has been painted, envisioned, painted over, changed for decades, this simple man in a jewel is a fucking work of art. Like a sculpture of a man carved from a huge stone, the process of dying a little each day, chipping away at the essential physical material and the erosion caused by the elements, has created a masterpiece. This is Water says, we are all surrounded by these masterpieces everywhere we go. The city is a giant gallery of amazing works in progress. These are the essence of the water that surrounds us. It, it sounds cliche and perhaps it is, but people are the water. Relationships are the water. The fish asks, what the hell is water? And the quote, this is water, reminds me on a day-to-day -day basis that only someone with his head straight up his ass refuses to stop in an art gallery and not notice all the masterpieces around him. And that's the podcast. We've got a couple more episodes that detail life in the 90s from an off-loop theater perspective with WNEP Theater. I've got a few more tattoos to go through with a break in between. Um, I, I actually did nine and then decided to not do it anymore. And then a year later decided, oh, I kind of have to have this tattoo. So uh, I hope you're enjoying listening. I hope uh, these are interesting in some way and if you are interested if you are enjoying it please do me a favor and share the information uh, of the podcast with other people the more people listen the more point it is otherwise i'm just doing this in a room by myself thank you very much and have a great week Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud, or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys. Peculiar Journeys.